0: Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here for Easter Sunday. Uh, You know, the typical Easter message uh, because I was looking online to figure out what I was going to preach on and uh, they have these websites with sermons you can just download and and the typical message usually goes something like this Uh, point number one here is exhibit a of irrefutable proof that Jesus rose from the grave point number two here's exhibit B of irrefutable proof that Jesus rose from the grave Point number three, because all real sermons have three points. Here's exhibit C of how Jesus rose from the grave. And so add up the numbers. You should turn your life upside down because of it. And then we'll pray a prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. And then we'll pass the plate, take an offering. And then we'll see you next year. And um, Now, the only problem with this model, well, maybe there's a few problems with it, but the, the, the main problem with that is i don't know if you've noticed this but i have found that people don't usually live by what they simply believe is true they might make a one-time decision or they might do something once because someone convinced them with a good argument but at the end of the day we don't live by what we think is true we tend to live by whatever we feel is most true to us at any given moment I'll give you an example from my own life. Now, I know that potato chips are terrible for me. I know that every time I eat them, they're slowly but surely clogging my blood vessels with cholesterol. And this could create big problems for me down the road. I know this to be true. I also feel the potato chips make me feel really good. I like to sit down with a bag of potato chips and I tell myself I'm not going to eat the whole bag. And then lo and behold, after a few minutes, I seem to have eaten the entire bag. My wife scolds me whenever I take snacks in the package that they came in and sit down with them because she's worried that I'm going to eat the entire bucket or bag or whatever form it came in. And and I have a real problem. I have a real problem. So when I sit down with a bag of potato chips, I ignore the cold, hard facts of what they're doing to my cardiovascular system, and I just eat them all, and I embrace the warm, fuzzy truth of how they make me feel. You know, Easter presents us with a claim that Christians have affirmed as true for a couple thousand years. Jesus raised from the dead, and and we believe this is true, but how is it that what uh, how does this truth become a reality that we can feel on a daily basis? How does it become something that we can live in the reality of every day of our lives? In the scripture, the scene for the resurrection is set with a public crucifixion. There's a burial that follows that and then the ceiling of a tomb and then a guard of Roman soldiers is sent there to, to guard the tomb. The guard is specifically requested by the Jewish religious leaders to guard the tomb to prevent anyone, Jesus' disciples, from sneaking into the tomb, rolling away the stone, and stealing the body, and then claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the scene that's set in Matthew 27. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. So we've got, in Matthew 7, we've got a garden tomb. We've got soldiers posted around it. Uh, and, and then somehow we go from that to an empty tomb and 500 or so people claiming to have seen jesus post-crucifixion alive and well some of them claim to have watched him ascend into the sky so in the first century there's this thing that happens where jesus shows up after the grave and disrupts people's lives Um, now because these claims are all pretty stunning there have been alternative exclama- explanations for how the tomb got empty. And, and one of those alternative explanations is found here in, in Matthew 28. We'll start reading it together. But, you know, before we start reading it, I, do you ever just wish that somebody was around who was there in that day who could tell us a little more about it? I, man, I, I really do. Wouldn't it be something if, if there was a, like... I don't know one of the characters from that day, maybe a scribe, maybe a Roman soldier. If only one of them was here today that could tell us about how the disciples came and stole the body while the Roman guard slept. Um, Wait wait a minute. What's that in the back of the room? Oh, my goodness. It seems to be a Roman soldier. Well, come in here. Wow. Came all this way. Somebody get him a chair. This is shocking. (laughs) Set that up here for him. That's a pretty scandalous skirt you've got on there. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to get you a chair. Can someone get me a chair? Can someone get me a chair over here? I'd like to sit down and talk to this guy for a while. All right. Thanks, Joel. Well, <laughs> <I can't>. <laughs> well, <laughs> well he- hello there. Uh, what's your name? It's me, Maximus Mario. <laughs> Max, Maximus <coughs> Mario. Sorry, sorry. it's uh, Maximus Mario. Max. Ma-
1: <coughs> <laughs> and uh, what the,
0: what is your name? I'm I'm James. Nice to meet you, James. Thank you. Uh, nice to meet you as well. Um, well, Maximus, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you've got some armor there. What's your what's your job? As you can see, I'm a
1: uh, guard <laughs> in the Roman Legion. I guard the, the roads. I guard the tomb.
0: Well, that's great. So you guard stuff. Okay. And <laughs> let's, what happens if the stuff that you are guarding disappears or let's say, for example, you're guarding a sealed tomb and then the seal was broken the next day. What, what would happen?
1: Hmm. So you're asking Maximus so and Mario, what's going to happen if I to the tomb and somebody come and they take something away when I got it? Well, let's just it. say, it's not like a temple guard. You know, the temple guard, they fall asleep all the time, you know, and the captain, they come up and, they, you know, they let a tunic on a tuna kind of fire. They wake up on a fire. It's not like that. In the Roman legion, if I got a something and someone going to miss in, you're probably going to die.
0: <laughs> what, what if you had a really good excuse? Like, let's say that. You were guarding the tomb, but you had a really good excuse. Like you fell asleep, you fell asleep and they came and and, and broke the seal. What, what would happen then? You're
1: probably going to die.
0: You are probably going to die. <laughs> gonna die. I'm going to be okay.
1: Some, some audio. Mm.
0: Okay. So, so we have this story, you know, what's all this? About, about an empty tomb. You know, we heard Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. He was buried in a sealed tomb. A bunch of Roman soldiers were set there to guard it. But then it sounds like his followers are claiming that he's not in the tomb anymore. What, what do you guys make of that?
1: Uh, uh, we all we'll fall asleep. Uh, the disciples, they come. Uh, they roll away at the stone. They
0: open the tomb and
1: they take the body. They go.
0: Oh, you guys... You guys fell asleep then. See? How many of you were there guarding the tomb? Uh, Well, uh, there was four
1: under duty. Uh, There's me, Maximus Mario, and my brother Luigi, you know, um, a toad, and uh, Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, Uh, but uh, the four guard Uh. And uh, and then... you know, and I a lot the the uh, the lynchettas, the the you know, the lasagna brothers, you know, there's a four and then a four, a four, a four, a four, a four, a four. About the fifty soldiers. <laughs> you know, we, we got a morning, we got a noon, we got a night.
0: Okay. So See? it sounds like you said there was about four of you on duty. See. And then you're there all weekend, so you've got several different shifts of soldiers. See. Maybe about 50 of you camped out, see, see. four on duty. Okay. <laughs> and then the disciples, about a dozen guys, come in in the middle of the night. They roll the stone away, and they carry the body out without making a single sound. Out of 50 people, not a single person wakes James, up. Not James, a single person. James,
1: we had a very,
0: very sleepy
1: summertime. It happened.
0: Okay. So you said earlier that if you fell asleep, that you to you to die. Okay. But if you fell asleep, how is it that you're alive here? To, how is it that you're alive? How is it that you're here talking to us? This doesn't even seem possible.
1: Mm. You know, James, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that's a good question. You know, that's a good question for the maximum somebody. Yeah, it seems uh, pretty outlandish.
0: <laughs> this does all seem very outlandish. Maximus, I mean, who would actually believe this story?
1: You know, James, people gonna believe what the people gonna believe. You know, it's a lot easier to believe that the disciples they come and they roll away the stone and they take the body, they go. You know, the people, you know, they don't want to believe that the man are coming back from the dead. You know, life goes on as as usual. You know, they'll talk about
0: the angel. Wait, wait, what? An angel? <laughs> Maximus, oh. what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> it is the most beautiful, it is the most frightening thing Maximus Mario ever seen in my life. <laughs> the Angel the grand shake, the Angel Lord show up like a lightning and roll away at the stone. They sit on the stone, and you know, fall down like a dead. <laughs> But what am I saying? Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I must have been dreaming, I must have been dreaming.
0: Oh, I got to go, I got to go. You you have to go? I got to go. Oh, Maximus, you dropped your bride. Oh. All right, well, don't let us keep you. Wow, that was really good. <laughs> Guess we'll call it a service. So that's, that's one version of an alternative explanation of, of the empty tomb. You can read about it in Matthew 28, the idea that the disciples came in while the soldiers were all sleeping and stole them away. You know, another version that's pretty popular today as well is this version that the resurrection was uh, a story that was made up It was concocted centuries after it actually happened by an organized and power hungry religious organization or religious manipulators. Uh, This idea that it was a highly organized hoax or a lie that was birthed maybe two or three centuries after uh, Christ lived uh, by the powers that be with designs on maintaining their religious power and authority. Now, this argument has some pretty large holes in it as well. Uh, One being that we have in our possession copies of Christian writings that would predate any of that. We have copies going back uh, to the second century. We have copies going back to the end of the first century, middle, second century. And, uh, And these manuscripts are super important because when they were written, there were still people who were alive who had... First hand eyewitness accounts or first hand connections to eyewitnesses of, uh, of the events that these documents were claiming uh, to preserve. Um, so uh, it's 2023 this year, and in 1948, there was the Vanport Memorial Day floods in, down in Portland. How, how many of you remember those? So I have a friend who I hang out with every week. We go up and do some ministry in a treatment center together. And she was telling me this week about the Vanport floods. She was just reminiscing things from her childhood, and and she was uh, she's 80 years old. So she was born in '43. So she was a little girl, but she remembers when the Vanport uh, neighborhoods were completely flooded and inundated with water. And and so it's super valuable. If someone was to try to write a news article or a book about how the floods never happened now, my friend is here who can testify to having seen it firsthand. And her voice would lend a lot of credibility or would undermine people who would claim otherwise. So it is with the New Testament. This document that was written, all these different letters, all these different accounts of his life that were written They were written in proximity, and and we have copies of them in close enough proximity that there are uh, living witnesses or living testimonies that would either corroborate them and give them uh, validation to be continued and pushed on, or they would be uh, just thrown out if they didn't add up. These preserved Christians writings that we have uh, don't just reach back to connect to living witnesses who were there, But they also predate any kind of authoritarian or empowered global movement of the church. Uh, The church really didn't have authority or power in the world until really the fourth century. It wasn't even legal until the third century. Christianity wasn't even legal in, in the Roman Empire until the third century. And so we have documents, tons of them, that predate the church ever having any kind of real influence or power in society. This is important because when when modern critics will try to point out to you that this is all a hoax or that Christians are just made this all up to gain their power, they're ignoring about two centuries worth of time where Christianity was not a religion that had power. But it was these are claims being made by people who are at the bottom rungs of society. The claim that Jesus rose from the dead wasn't something invented by the power brokers of a world religion it was something invented or that was begun by people who were out of the way places disempowered and they were heavily persecuted for centuries all the while dying and proclaiming uh, dying in order to proclaim that this is very true that jesus rose from the dead the interesting thing is that it starts in that place but it has become one of the most popular held the most popular held belief in the world there's over two billion christians meaning there's two billion people in the world who believe in some form or another that christ rose from the dead now i point out all these facts not because they matter because i just started saying that the logic of these arguments isn't what really matters I think many people today, despite it being popularly held by a lot of people, many people feel, no, it's just not true. It just doesn't add up. And these aren't logical decisions that people make from really examining the evidence or, or analyzing the holes in it. It's because they just don't feel that it's true. Their reality isn't shaped by this being true. Their reality is shaped by whatever other truths they might feel. You can point out a couple of centuries, you can point out disempowered people, you can point out the holes in the logic, but at the end of the day, people go with what their gut tells them. That's just how we're wired. So unless your life has been disrupted in some significant way by the living presence of Jesus Christ, I really think the truth of his resurrection is not going to make a very big difference in your life. The good news is that Jesus is totally in the business of disrupting our lives with the reality of his presence. Many, many years ago, there was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He lived during the first century. He was an extremely dedicated Jewish scholar and a budding religious leader and influencer in Judaism. When the claims of Jesus' resurrection were first being made in his world, he violently persecuted anyone believed it to be true he traveled all around the region and he had christians imprisoned arrested he oversaw these bogus trials he even oversaw the executions of christians in different situations and one day saul of tarsus was one day saul of tarsus had an encounter with the living jesus christ that changed everything you can turn your bibles to acts chapter 22 we actually will read this part Uh, because Saul's not here today. He couldn't make the trip. Acts 22, we read Paul's testimony, or Saul's testimony, about this encounter in his own words. He says, Friends, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city. He's in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today, and I persecuted the followers of this way To their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul is an extremely committed follower of Judaism. He feels that this new way, this new religion, proclaiming Jesus is risen from the dead, is undermining his religion. And he's been arresting people, persecuting them, seeing them put to death. And he's now got letters and he's traveling to Damascus with full intention of arresting and persecuting people there and bringing them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. On the road to Damascus, he says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So my companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me, and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. And you'll be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard on the road to damascus jesus or sorry saul encountered jesus he encountered the resurrected living christ he didn't see him in a bodily form he heard his voice he saw a light from heaven but the one who chased christians from city to city persecuting them and murdering them from province to province suddenly became the one who testified That their claims were true. Suddenly he became someone. Who himself said. I have seen the risen Christ. I've talked to him. He is not dead in a tomb. His disciples didn't hide the body. I'm convinced this isn't a scam. I've seen the real Jesus Christ. God disrupted Saul's life. His trip. To Damascus was interrupted by the reality of who Jesus is now I don't believe that God knocks has knocked. I've, I've never been knocked off a horse or out of a car I guess but I do really believe that he's still in the business of disrupting our lives with his presence that we might ourselves be changed that we might believe in him that we might feel this to be true In the depth of who we are, in the core of our bones, feel it. Yes, I believe Jesus is alive today. Hearing the truth proclaimed, the tomb is empty, might not change you. In fact, I would argue that it probably won't change you. But if you've had your life disrupted by the living presence of God, that's the kind of thing that can leave you forever changed. I believe that God's spirit is still working in our world in such a way that you would have your own life disrupted by his presence. The question is, what are you looking for? What are you open to? Some of us are pretty disciplined in a devotional life. Seeking out quiet times, maybe every day or during the week. Times where we can come into God's presence and he can disrupt our routine with the reality Of who he is some of us come hungry for this kind of disruption to a Sunday morning service we come on Sundays gathering to worship and we're looking we're seeking for an opportunity to have our lives disrupted by the presence of the Living God think in the same way that people believe what they want to believe people do tend to find what they're looking for those people who come looking for God hungry for the presence of God, seeking for a disruption of eternity into their lives here and today, I think they tend to find that sooner or later. God describes himself, or God's described in Scripture as a rewarder of those who seek him. God describes himself as not hiding, but reaching out, longing for people to find him. He's a God who loves to be found. He doesn't always do it on our terms or on our timelines or in the way that we want, but he is faithful to meet us in the places that we are and disrupt this world with his living presence. He really is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's not just a rewarder of those who seek him, but I really believe that he's still calling people, even the most unlikely of people, people like Saul of Tarsus, people who are anti-Christ. He calls them to both experience the truth and, of his presence, the truth of fellowship with the living God, and then to be his witnesses in the world around, people who can testify to the truth of who he is. Jesus was crucified, and he rose from the grave, and he's alive today, and he's forever standing as your advocate at the right hand of the Father. Scripture describes him as seated in heavenly places, saying to us, your place is up here with me. He's the living proof. That God's designs for humanity is for us to be with him. And we have opportunities to live out this good news before our fellow man each and every day. We have opportunities to participate in this proclaiming work. Say, this is the reality of the universe. God is not holding your sins against you. This is the reality of the universe. Humanity is not destined for sin and death, but God has a different destiny for us. One that involves us being seated with him in heavenly places. To the doubter, to the one who would say, I'm not so sure that Jesus is alive today, I would just encourage you. Ask God to disrupt your life with his presence. The way that he can meet us, the way the spirit of God meets us. With our spirit, the fellowship that he invites us into is the kind of thing that I can't even describe with words. But it's the kind of thing that leaves you where all the evidence aside, you know what you know, you know who you've talked to, you know, who you've walked with and you know that there's a living God who loves you unconditionally. To those of us who are walking with Jesus, to those of us who maybe this is part of what we feel to be true, right? And we embrace it. I want to challenge you. Because there's a lot of people in our world who you might be the first evidence of a living God that they come across. And what kind of evidence do they see in your life? Do you have the kind of life that proclaims to people that there is a God in this universe who's not holding their sins against them? Do you have a kind of life that proclaims to people that there's a God who's very different, very holy, very other from any other claims that world religions might have? Does your life just exude the humility and the patience and the holiness of our God? This Easter, my prayer is that each of you would encounter the living Christ that you would become counted among his witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are people who only see dimly. I believe that every one of us in the room, probably to some degree, every one of us in the world are just doing the best we can to try to figure out the meaning of life, to try to figure out the point of it all, And I firmly believe that an encounter with you brings a great deal of clarity in all of those things. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be present with us right now. To lift our our minds and our hearts and our souls into the reality of your eternal goodness. God, we believe that you're better than we've ever imagined. We believe that you're more real than the realest thing we've ever experienced. We want a taste of that today. We want to experience. We want to feel the truth of who you are today. Not just with our minds, but with our hearts. Come and meet with your people today. At Renewal, we tend to close our services gathering at the Lord's table every week. And uh, the table is set with bread that represents Christ's body that was broken. It's set with a cup that has the fruit of the vine in it that represents Christ's blood that was poured out to establish a new covenant, a new framework for relating between God and humanity. The covenant where God says to each of us, I'm no longer counting your sins against you. And we do this every time we gather on Sundays because on the night that Jesus was betrayed at the end of the Passover meal, he took the cup and he took the bread and he said to his disciples of the bread, this is my body that's broken for you. And he said of the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant. He invited them to share it amongst themselves saying, do this every time you gather in remembrance of me. And I think one of the things that the table provides for us is a little bit of a disruption in our weekly routine where we're able to, through the mystery of Christ's presence in the Eucharist, we're able to somehow connect with this reality, to feel it. This sacrifice, we eat of it and we say, this is enough. We drink it. It doesn't make any sense to us, but we just believe this is enough. And while we might not feel that every time we eat and drink, there's this faith that our practice is inspired by, a belief that as we continue to do this, as we embrace this truth week in and week out that Christ's sacrifice is enough, that it will become more and more the, the feeling of our soul, the place that we sit in our quiet moments uh, as we continue on in this life. On Easter, we've also made a bit of a tradition of reading an Easter sermon by John Chrysostom. It was written or first delivered by him in 400 A.D. And one of the things that I love about this sermon is that it reads like an invitation to the Lord's table. And so as we read it today, I want you to hear it as an invitation to the Lord's table. We're going to close the service with uh, some more singing after we do this reading and, um, and just hear these words that have been preserved uh, for over 1,600 years and hear the invitation that God is giving uh, through this, this teaching. Um, for 1,600 years, Christians have sta- stood while we read it, and so I just want to invite you to stand with me and, uh, and hear this invitation to the feast. Are there any who are devout lovers of God? Let them enjoy this beautiful and bright feast. Are there any who are grateful servants? Let them rejoice and enter into the joy of their Lord. Are there any who are weary with fasting? Let them now receive their wages. If any have toiled from the first hour, let them receive their due reward. If any have come after the third hour, let them with gratitude join in the feast. And they that arrive after the sixth hour, let them not doubt, for they too shall sustain no loss. And if any delayed until the ninth hour, let them not hesitate, but let them come too. And they who arrived only at the eleventh hour, let them not be afraid by reason of their delay. For the Lord is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him that comes at the eleventh hour, as well to him that toiled from the first. To this one he gives, and upon another he bestows. He accepts the works as he greets the endeavor, the deed he honors, and the intention he commends. Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord. First and last alike, receive your reward. Rich and poor, rejoice together. Sober and slothful, celebrate the day. You that have kept the fast, and you that have not, rejoice today. For the table is richly laden. Feast royally on it. The calf is a fatted one. Let no one go away hungry. And partake all of the cup of faith. And enjoy all the riches of his goodness. Let no one grieve at his poverty. For the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn that they have fallen again and again. For forgiveness has risen from the grave Let no one fear death For the death of our Savior has set us free He has destroyed it by enduring it He destroyed hell when he descended into it And he put it into an uproar Even as it tasted of his flesh Isaiah foretold this when he said You, O hell, have been troubled by encountering him below Hell was in an uproar because it was done away with. It was in an uproar because it is mocked. It was in an uproar for it is destroyed. It's in an uproar for it is annihilated. It is in an uproar for it is now made captive. Hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen, and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life is liberated. Christ is risen, and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep to him be the glory and the power forever and ever amen amen as we sing together i would just invite you to come up and eat and drink of christ's victory here at renewal we just tear off a piece of the bread we dip it in the cup we maybe gather at the table with a few other church members and and someone prays out a prayer of thanksgiving and we all receive it and eat together and just rejoice in God's goodness for us. Uh, The table is open and set. We would invite you, anyone who would like to eat of Christ's work today, to come and receive it and be transformed by his presence in your life.